Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Can't complain, Tim. I hope everyone out there is doing great as well. Uh, but how are you? You, you look uh, you look healthy. You look <laughs> healthy and and uh, full of zest. Thank you. I've been I've been eating uh, I've been eating more lately, Lance. In this episode today, we've got we've got a full full house really. We've got private investigators Lou Barry and Greg Overacker, who work with Private Investigations for the Missing. Of course, that's the nonprofit that we are on the board of that was founded by Bruce Maitland, Brianna Maitland's father. And you can find out some info about them at investigationsforthemissing.org. In addition to those private investigators, we have Chloe and Melina Cantor from the True Crime Twins on the show as well. And we have our cohort here at Crawl Space, Jennifer Amell on this one. Yeah, like you said, a full house. And we were all together to be a part of the 18th commemorative date that marks Brianna Maitland's disappearance. These people, especially Lou and Greg, if you've listened to any of the episodes we've done about Brianna, whoever we've had on, these two have been working tirelessly with Bruce on trying to get some answers, trying to figure out something, some lead uh, that might bring a little bit of closure to uh, Bruce's daughter, Brianna. And we recorded this during our Crime and Culture Live night and got a really good turnout. The community is still very engaged in Brianna's disappearance, which is awesome to hear. We recorded this before the Vermont State Police released a statement. And uh, we actually spoke about Othram Labs and about the DNA angle that Othram had um, been working on in Brianna Maitland's case. And so that actually does come up later in this interview. And Lou, I believe, answers that anything DNA has to come from the Vermont State Police. Uh, and, well, here we, here we are just a couple days after that. Um, it, the Vermont State Police released a statement. So we do want to read it before we play the interview. Okay, and this was released on vtstatepolice.blogspot.com, and it's a press release from the Vermont State Police. It says, Source of DNA in Brianna Maitland investigation identified. And it's from Waterbury, Vermont, Friday, March 18th, 2022. Advanced DNA testing and forensic genetic genealogy have helped the Vermont State Police identify the source of DNA found as part of the investigation into the disappearance of Brianna Maitland. No suspect in the case has been identified, but as the 18th anniversary of her disappearance arrives, the case remains open and an active investigation. And they go on to describe the circumstances of Brianna's disappearance. Brianna was 17 last seen on the evening of March 19, 2004. She clocked out from the Black Lantern Inn where she worked as a dishwasher and was headed to a friend's house where she was living at the time. She never made it. On the next day, her 1985 Oldsmobile 88 was located backed into an abandoned building known as the Old Dutch Burn Barn, about a mile from the restaurant. Yeah, and, and the Old Dutch Burn Barn is in quotes. It's actually a, an old house that uh, isn't even there anymore. And it goes on, approximately one week after Brianna was last seen, the Vermont State Police returned to the scene to conduct a canine search. This search resulted in the collection of an item of interest from the ground in the vicinity of where Maitland's car was found. Based on the location of the item and not knowing how long it had been there, it was unclear if it was related to Maitland's disappearance. A DNA profile obtained from this item was entered into CODIS, the FBI's DNA database, and also directly compared to 11 persons of interest— no match was identified. 
In the fall of 2020, the Vermont State Police sent DNA evidence from the case to Othram Labs. That's in uh, Austin, Texas, our friend David Middleman. It's a Texas-based uh, forensic sequencing laboratory, and Othram identified possible matches. Othram scientists used forensic-grade genome sequencing to build a DNA profile and genealogical research to develop investigative leads so the Vermont State Police could continue their work. After months of follow-up investigation, police were able to locate, interview, and obtain DNA samples from possible donors. These DNA samples were sent to the Vermont Forensic Laboratory for comparison testing. The lab confirmed that DNA from one of the individuals matched the DNA on the item found on the ground near Brianna's vehicle. And it goes on. Here's a quote. It's important to note that this doesn't mean we have identified a suspect, end quote. And that's from Detective Sergeant Angela Baker of the Vermont State Police. And she is the lead investigator on the case. And she goes on to say, we are continuing our active efforts to investigate every lead associated with this case. And we constantly look for new technological advances to aid in our investigation. The use of genetic genealogy to identify the DNA found 18 years ago is just one example of how detectives continue to track down every potential lead in this case. End quote. And anyone with tips or other information that might in any way be relevant to the investigation should contact Detective Baker at Angela.Baker, that's A-N-G-E-L-A dot B-A-K-E-R at Vermont.gov, or submit an anonymous tip online to VSP.Vermont.gov slash tip submit. And that's one word, T-I-P-S-U-B. MIT. Or you could send a tip to private investigations as well. We have an anonymous tip line. That number is 1-866-331-6660. Or you can email piftmtips at gmail.com and that will get to the appropriate landing spot. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It was recorded live a few weeks ago for our Crime and Culture series that we do every other Tuesday night. So make sure to check that out. Uh, the next one will be in a few weeks. So thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona. Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Tonight we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Brianna Maitland because we are coming up on the 18th commemorative date of her disappearance... And we we've decided to bring aboard, you know, the 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 usual cast of characters 
that's meant in a good way when we always talk about um, the disappearance of Brianna, where we have Greg Overacker, Lou Barry, we have Jenna Mel, we have Chloe and Melina from True Crime Twins. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be sort of a round table. Um, hey, we might end up laughing, cracking a couple of jokes. We got to keep it a little bit light uh, because that's how you can process <laughs> stuff like this, right? So anyway, welcome everybody. The, the the Zoom screen is just full. And Lou, you're looking super handsome with that white polo and the graphics and the lighting. Thanks. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Greg Overacker and Lou Barry, you guys are both private investigators. Um, I just want to mention private investigations for the missing right off the top here. And you can check out more information at investigationsforthemissing.org. And that is the nonprofit that Bruce Maitland founded. Of course, Bruce is Brianna Maitland's father. Brianna Maitland went missing from Montgomery, Montgomery Vermont on March 19th, 2004. Greg and Lou, what what is it like working on this case? And at this point, it's been years for both of you. I guess frustrating is probably probably the uh, the key word. Greg, would you agree? That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, absolutely frustrating. One of the problems Lou and I were talking about the show tonight <clears throat> is uh, certain things that we can't tell the public, and I know the public gets frustrated with that. It's frustrating for us too. But uh, Lou suggested we kind of try to talk about some of the rumors and maybe put them to bed. I thought that was a pretty good idea. Greg, you you just mentioned put to bed some of the rumors without getting into specific rumors. Do you feel like that's something that you have to do? And even you, Lou, is this something that you have to do every year when it comes up that there's just a new bunch of rumors or maybe old rumors that are resurfacing? Yeah. Over and over and over. <laughs> Um, so Lou and I find each other calling each other, you know, I'll call Lou for something just to say something quick or hello or something. We end up on the phone for a half an hour, or 40 minutes, and we're not arguing, but going back and forth and knocking stuff down. And just to give you an example uh, for people who are familiar with the case, Alan Ducharme, I mean, Lou and I will talk about this for an hour at a time, or there's a, there's a ton of them or the search of the the manure pit or any of those things and you know it's funny that when Lou came into this and we sat down and I was you know we've talked about this before on your show where I kind of pushed up you know the Encyclopedia Britannica at him and said have fun and now he's like a wealth of information and I call him and he answers my questions because I can't remember all this stuff and it's, it works both ways but it's just a, it's so much information. I think that one of the frustrating things is that we, I mean, this case has been investigated uh, over and over and over and um, certain aspects of it have been looked at and, and kind of put aside. Um, and these rumors that have been floating for 18 years just keep resurfacing with new people. And it's like, well, I heard this and this was, and, and then you just like shake your head and say, no, that's been checked out and that, you know, there's no credence to that. And, um, that can get very time consuming because you hear a variation of a, of a uh, story that's been disproven, but someone will morph it a little bit and make it so that you have to kind of look at that angle. And that just is so time consuming and frustrating. Yeah. It just makes it difficult. Um, and then to compound that, 
you have people that insert themselves and claim knowledge that have no knowledge. I mean, case in point, there was a post on a, a social media site by a, a young lady a week or so ago saying that she and this other girl, and she named the girl, were supposed to meet with Brianna that night or the next day, and she never showed up. And so immediately we started checking that and check with Brianna's friends and said, this girl wasn't a friend of hers. And uh, I talked to the girl that she named yesterday and she said, no, I, I didn't even know Brianna to speak of. Um, and I don't know who that girl is <laughs> or why she's saying that. Um, and that, so that can get frustrating also. No, when stuff like that comes in, you know, Lou will call me and say, oh, you know, this is what I'm, we're looking at, blah, 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 blah. Initially, of course, you wholeheartedly want to dive into it and look at it, but immediately red flags start going up like she was supposed to meet somebody that night. You know, she's leaving work at 1120 at night and she's got to be to work at literally 530 a.m. You know, that's like the discussions of her going out to a party and all that other stuff. You know, she's telling people she's rushing home to get in bed, to get up at work, to be at work at 530 a.m. or something and going to go to a party and, you know, do drugs all night or something. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And uh, Shannon had a uh, comment here. Why the heck do people start rumors like that? So damaging. And I kind of want to present this to uh, the true crime twins. Like, do you guys have an idea? Yeah, You know, like there's so many answers to that, right? Like, why do people inject themselves into cases and, and start rumors? Um, like, psychologically speaking, what is that called? Like, what? Wh- why is that even? Why is that even a thing? I don't think it can be like localized to one specific issue. I think everybody that does that comes from their own places and has their own motivations. But I think at the root of most of it is attention seeking behavior, unfortunately. And it's sad that that's what they resort to because obviously inserting yourself and putting out erroneous information about something that's so delicate, this is a real person and her family suffer every single day. So to get your kicks out of that, to try to get any form of attention from that, it's, it's not, it's kind of morally bankrupt when you really think about it. So either these people are lacking something as far as their moral compass goes, or they're not all there and they don't really know the difference between right and wrong, unfortunately. That's a it's a great answer. And uh, Kira said uh, boredom, narcissism, lack of education. And I, I actually have never considered boredom being that dangerous of a um, is it an emotion or a state of being? I, I never considered boredom being so dangerous because there's many ways you can find a way to bring attention to yourself that aren't as destructive um, or morally bankrupt. Uh I just hearing your explanation and seeing boredom being like one of the causes is just mind blowing to me. Cause when you get bored, what do you do? Like read a book or something like, what do you guys do when you get bored? You certainly don't inject yourselves into missing person cases. Along those lines, uh, I think COVID since we had this COVID thing came out, it, it's increased because the boredom's increased. Um, COVID's had an impact on this case because, you know, people that we would have liked to have questioned, we can't, uh, due to travel restrictions and whatnot. So, but part of that is, is just what they're saying, the boredom aspect of it. People have nothing to do, so they go online. That goes into a huge deeper question too, Chloe, where what is it that some people can treat 
this is entertainment and they don't realize that this is someone's child. You know, it's kind of like when you see a show where women show up at Ted Bundy's trial and cheer for him and adore him and everything. What is that disconnect where they don't realize that he murdered women and had sex with their dead bodies? There's some kind of mental issue there that I don't understand. And that's got to be a big part of this whole, like where people interjecting and not, you know, whatever that is. And I mean, when you take a step back, clearly every single one of us on this panel here tonight we're all interested in missing persons cases and in missing people, but we're all trying to take that interest and do something productive and try to be helpful. It's completely different in a much darker direction when you have to kind of look at yourself and it's like, is this, is this a helpful thing that I'm doing or is it just completely self-serving? And if it's just something that feeds your sense of wanting attention or your ego, or your narcissism, then you're absolutely not in this for the right reasons. And I also have seen and feel that some people almost are lying to themselves, like they're kidding themselves into thinking that they're doing something helpful, and they're just not. It's, 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 it can be, I think, delusional. It's strange to go to work with Lou, and then walk away from an interview and ask his opinion when someone does this. It with him being 35 year veteran and I, I, the years, Lou, that you dealt with that, with talking to people and interviewing people. I mean, is it relative to what we see in Brianna's case or is it a different extreme? You know, there's a couple things that I think you learn over the years. One, uh, people that are guilty of something never tell you the entire truth. <laughs> I mean, they, they may admit to uh, some serious, serious crime and leave out and lie about little details. It's kind of ironic, but I, I don't know why they do it, but they do. Um, but um, I don't know, just, you could have stopped that it's strange to work with Lou and that would have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just a, a little bit off topic, but I, I something before I, I forget, one thing that really drives me uh, or upsets me, I guess, a little bit is that people go on to social media and they throw out names of people that, have, you know, that may have been at one point considered persons of interest, but um, there's, there's dozens of them and, and they're not obviously all involved and their reputations, their names are being dragged through the mud uh, over and over and over again uh, with, with no evidence. And that's not fair. I mean, they're also in a, in a sense victims. Um, because if they had nothing to do with it, then, you know, their name doesn't belong plastered all over social media. I have to comment on that. There's differences in those people. And I know, you know, I agree with you. Absolutely. But when people discuss people like Ramon Ryans and Nathaniel Jackson, the two guys that were the drug dealers who we know committed crimes up there. I mean, there are still, you know, Jackson, who was up there dealing crack cocaine for a living and then went down south and ended up doing nine years in prison for trafficking he was caught with 528 grams of coke and went to prison and all this other stuff i don't mind talking about them the criminals they were up there doing criminal behavior they were intermingled somewhat with brianna's life and that but i don't think that's what you're referring to you're you're referring to and it's it's something that lou and i have talked about many times these websites 
where people go on and they say, hey, you know, this friend, that friend, and that friend start talking about, don't do that. That's Those are average people. Even Jackson and Ryan's, there's absolutely zero evidence that they had anything to do with Brianna's disappearance. It's even not fair to them, but they were involved in a lot of criminal activity and they can't say we're lying. They were, they were arrested, they were prosecuted. And there are some people that inserted themselves into the case by by making stupid statements about knowing something or doing something when they had, right. you know, and that's kind of a different situation. So the, the, the you know, the manure pit that they got, I don't even know if we should say his name, the manure pit that got searched and the people that live up there and the people that are involved in this case and the people that are on the chat sites and all that other stuff know who we're talking about. But when you follow that back, there's nothing, there's no evidence that any of that was ever real, that, that there was any, there's nothing to prove that that actually searching that manure pit had anything to do with Brianna's disappearance. Someone came forward and said, I heard this. And that's where that derived from. And that's, I think, something that's good to tell the public because, I mean, there's other, there's other ways that he came up, right, Lou? I mean, we could talk about that too. There's other ways that he came up in topic of Brianna's disappearance. But that particular instance where the police, state police went there and were granted permission to search, they didn't have a warrant, they were granted permission to search that manure pit. There was no evidence to lead them there or anything. It was a rumor, right? I just want to make sure I say that correctly. Put that to rest kind of thing. And that was a huge rumor, huge rumor that to, to persist to this day. It's lore now, you know, so that's following his family around. Jennifer Amell, welcome to the show. You work with us on uh, on the Missing Podcast, and um, you've really been thrown into this world um, of Brianna Maitling. Tell us a little bit about what it's like um, for you working with these PIs, with uh, Chloe and Melina, and with us and with Bruce. Nothing but a joy and a pleasure, always. <laughs> um, no, I think um, so. I I was brought on board with private investigations for the missing to do some you know odd research on other missing persons cases, and of course, I knew that Bruce had lost his daughter, and that's that was the reason behind the whole organization or the impetus, I should say. And I really didn't want to touch the case because I didn't feel like I had anything to add. I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to solve it myself. Um, but I think over the years, um, I've and getting to know Bruce personally, Brianna has just come alive for me. And I've been up there a few times now. I mean, I live in Burlington, Vermont, so it's kind of a hop, skip and a jump over to Montgomery, but um, it's been hard <laughs> because I know like on our show missing, you know, I'll have a couple conversations um, with family members of missing people, um, get interviews with them and stuff. And of course you, you care, um, but Brianna just seems different because we've all kind of come together because of her. And it's beautiful and touching in a different way than other cases have. I don't know if I, I'm making sense, but <laughs> that's how it feels. For sure. We've all become friends with each other and with Bruce. I never could have imagined all the people that I've met over the years to become friends with and becoming close with Bruce and everything. We dragged Jen around northern Vermont um, for a 
a day. And I think she saw things that she never knew existed before. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little rough up there <laughs> in some places. I was just I was going to say your everyone's answer there after Jen, um, you know, spoke uh, kind of is an answer to what Shannon was saying. And I'm scrolling here. I don't want to lose this. She, she basically was asking, how do you, uh, how do you keep going? Like there's, you're, you're talking about, yeah. What keeps Lou and Greg going? How do they maintain their determination to keep investigating? Do they ever feel like giving up? And what you were just saying, you know, there's this whole community you're making friends. You're, you know, you're going into up, upstate Vermont with Jen and, and, you know, just digging in there. Um, but what what is it? Is it that plus something else? Now I'm friends with Bruce, so that's it's it's offensive to me now. It pisses me off. Every day I do something to do with this. I, I read, I write, I'm calling Lou, I'm doing something every day. And I don't know if it's an obsession or what it is, but it's been like that for years. And I don't know what it is, but it's it's there all the time. I think when I came on, I I told Bruce a couple of things, one of which I didn't want any compensation. And secondly, I wasn't going to give up. Um, and so I, you know, I'm not going to give up. I, you know, I just not going to do it. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I have to walk away from it for a week or two and, um, and go back, but it always comes back. I walked away for a couple of years way back. Well, I mean, I always stayed in touch with Bruce, but I walked away for quite a while. I had to. I think Greg and I keep each other going too. Yeah. 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 For sure. And what about you, Chloe and Melina? I think it kind of, it holds on to your heart a little bit. And the community that has formed around Brianna and her story and just the time that has passed. I mean, especially for Greg. Greg has been on this case, what, since two years after she disappeared? All of those factors together you just, you feel very connected. And like Lou said, you know, we're not going anywhere. We're not, we're not going to stop caring and stop, you know, trying to do what we can to contribute in a productive way. It comes a, it becomes a bizarre part of your life. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. I like live a dual life. I have this life here at home, but for years I would just get in my car and drive up to Vermont. I had a friend who lived in Lake George too, for a while. I would stay at his house, pick him up. We'd go up and just stay up there for a few days or whatever. I go to my brother's in Albany and then drive up and just, I had this whole other thing and they, people here, my friends and my family, very, very little about it. Even now, I mean, like Jen and I went up, you know, it's a beautiful area and everything. This is another weird part of this too. It's a beautiful area and everything, but when you're up there, you almost feel like you're on enemy territory. It was really bad with Fran, Eric Franlick's case where you feel like there's something bad here and, in its enemy territory, especially with Franlix. I don't know so much about Brianna's, but it's a, a definitely an odd thing. We dragged Chloe up there too, and she saw some places that I think, or heard some things that she had never heard before also. <laughs> Let's be real. I made you feel comfortable in those situations, Lou. I was, <laughs> I was the seasoned one. <laughs> I like we came out of an interview and we went and met in the parking lot remember and I walked up to Chloe's window and I go what'd you think of that you know kind of thing because I was waiting to look at her face 
when you hear really bizarre disenfranchised people talk, you're like, I had this conversation actually today with somebody and I was explaining to him that when you hear somebody's story, this goes to the rumor thing too, and people are telling you a story and you're trying to follow them and they're telling you stuff in between the story that has nothing to do with the story. And this girl was telling me, yeah, so we were going to go to this drug house and we were going to stop, pick up, we picked up her. And then we were going to Bobby Joe's house. We got to Bobby Joe's house and she had a baby in the bathtub. So she wasn't going to go. And then we were, and I'm looking at her and she just keeps telling the story and she gets onto the story. And I go, can we go back to the baby in the bathtub thing? And she, I just, weird, strange, bizarre stuff like that happens in the interview that we did with Chloe. I was just dying to get outside to see what your expression was going to be. Yeah. We actually had a uh, quote tip two weeks ago from an individual who knew exactly what happened. He'd been told it by the devil. Yeah. <laughs> That's always entertaining. I, I asked Greg to follow up on that one. He's more into the psychic aspect of things than I am. Well, Greg's a big believer in the paranormal, so that's right up his alley. <laughs> yeah, you hold on, hold on. You you delivered that a little too fast. Can you back that up a little bit and a little bit clearer what happened? There was a, a tip received from an individual who claimed knowledge of what had happened because he'd been told it by the devil. I mean, don't you think that they're just going too far with that? Like, couldn't it be like your dog or something like the devil at that point? You're just like you're showing off. I, I think there may be some issues there. Um, Maybe. You, know. you never notice the devil doesn't show up to just shoot the breeze. No, <laughs> always gives you cryptic messages. Walks to the door and you're like, does it have to be bad news every time? You can't just say hello. As um, far as you know, I like as how far Lou, as you know, Greg, I like how Lou always pushes off the psychics and the devil people on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks, man. I'll take you should this see one. it coming, Greg. I know. <laughs> Speaking of like paranormal or like uh, what is it called? Uh, synchronicity. Greg, did you tell that story in public about running into that guy in the restaurant? Oh, I don't know. Should I? Yeah. Without names, I think it'll be all right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so, if, you, if you can. So we, uh, Jen and I went up to interview a guy specifically in the Montgomery area. So I was talking to one of Brianna's friends. And she said, hey, there's this documentary about the drug use, the drug problem in St. Albans area. And it's called Hungry Heart, by the way, if you want to watch it. And um the person you're going to interview is in here is profiled in it. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I can get a look at him and this and that. And one other thing, and it ended up being a very good documentary. If you haven't seen it, it's a, it's about a doctor, a pediatrician in the area and kids were coming to him that he had dealt with since they were, you know, infants and they had the drug problem. And he went to the town and he said, look, you better get a handle on this. People are going to start dying. This is going to be an issue. You know? And um, so the story is about him and how he was an advocate and he helped his kids and everything into their adulthood. And, and that in the story of the drug problem up there and how awful it is and everything. So Jen and I went up on a Friday night and we had to go talk to somebody else. We were in St. Albans doing interviews and uh, it got late and I said, Hey, let's go to dinner. And as we're walking from restaurant to restaurant, cause they were all packed, couldn't get a table. I said, I wish I had gotten a hold of that doctor. I should have looked him up because he could put us in touch because if tomorrow I put the whole day aside to find this particular interview, I said, if we can't find him, 
uh, we're screwed. Even if it takes us all day, it's going to suck. One of the restaurants, no, we're full, whatever. We walked outside. I said, that looks like a nice place. Let's go over there. We went over a really nice restaurant. They found us a table. We ordered and stuff. I told Jen, I got to use the men's room. I went in and I was in the men's room. And, uh, you know, it's a house. It's a converted, nice old building. It wasn't a house, but a nice old St. Albans. It looks like something that's been there since the 1700s, you know. And uh, I opened the door and the doctor's standing right in front of me, waiting to use the bathroom. And I said, you're a doctor. He's like 80. I'm like, you're a doctor, aren't you? He said, yeah. I said, you were in the documentary. Yep. I said, I came here specifically to talk to a friend of yours from New York. He said, okay. He took me to his table and I sat with him and his wife and he, he talked to me about it. But it was just a bizarre thing. I go, I go back to the table and of course, Jen's waiting for our dinner to show up. And I walk up and I go, while you're over here hanging out, having a beer, <laughs> I'm over there working in the other room. Meanwhile, yeah. I think he's in the restroom for like an hour. <laughs> I was like, geez, this guy. <laughs> Leaves me here. <laughs> and then I called Lou and I said, is this divine intervention, Lou, that this guy would show up? I mean, it didn't help all, all that much, but I, it was really strange. And he said, it's St. Albans. There's not all that many people. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Still, though, that's a pretty crazy coincidence. Yeah. I, I think my favorite part of the story is that Jen's sitting there for like an hour <laughs> thinking that you just have like gas. <laughs> I'm amazed she waited for him. Yeah, I know. I should have left. He's my ride, though. So. Yeah. Yeah, but after an hour, Greg comes skipping back into the room like a little schoolboy. Yeah. <laughs> like, guess what I found? Well, you're over here hanging out. <laughs> it's a good thing they hadn't eaten already. She would have thought he skipped out on the bill and stuck her with it. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's it's that's funny too because we're sitting in this restaurant and there's it's a really nice place and there's people enjoying themselves and everybody looks real nice. It's like a, fr a Friday night and, you know, people are having drinks and I'm thinking, I don't see this part of this area. I don't see this. I see the bad. Every time I go up there, I see that underbelly and it, and it seems strange. I know these people exist, but I don't see them and I don't deal with them. I deal with the other part. M Michelle actually brought up an interesting question here. Was it actually the case that you met this guy or was it an elaborate story to cover up the lengthy bathroom trip? Oh, Which yeah. That's what it was. Did not consider that until Michelle just said that. I had to make up something. So besides that rumor, um, wh what are some of the most prevalent rumors in Brianna's case that you um, would like to, I guess, dispel or, or set the record straight? I think one of the big ones is the fact that she went to a party and overdosed. Um, and that they dumped her car back there. And, you know, if we, we've gone over there and over and over the timeline. And um, unless that party was real, real close to the, to the Dutch burn house, it's just almost physically impossible for it to have happened in the time frame involved. And she left work at 1120 and her car was seen at 1215. There's, there's not a lot of time there to go. Um, you know, we're not talking a, a city. We're talking you have to drive to get anywhere. I think that's one of the big ones. That stuff will bend your mind too. It will. It will absolutely. Years ago, prior years ago, uh, we had a tip, a written tip. This girl said, "I dated a boy, and he told me what happened, and that they ditched her car there. They were uh, 
messed up on drugs and that's why they hit the building and blah, 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 blah. And they where they put her and all this other stuff. And I went and just cold knocked on this girl's door when I was up there one time and the father came to the door and I, I told him why I was there and then I wanted to talk to her. And he said, yeah, brought her out. She was probably, geez, I don't even know, mid twenties or something. But uh, I explained to her why I was there and everything. And she just started bawling. I mean, just crying, tears running down her face. She was a wreck. And I, I literally sat her down and I said, honey, you know, have to get this upset calm down and just but she wasn't upset because i was there she was upset because she believed this and she said he told me this he told me they ditched her car there and that this is what happened and everything but it bends your mind because you know that physically like lou said it can't happen it's it's almost it seems impossible that that would happen she would have to what leave work at 11 20 the car spotted at 12 30 she has to go somewhere in that little time frame you know, she can only go so far. So she's got to leave and get back to that area. So, you know, that's where it is. She can only drive a certain amount of minutes away. and It's got to be a round trip to come back. So she's got to hit whatever happened had to happen in that little area. She had to go there, walk in the door, ingest something, fall on the ground. Everybody goes, oh, no. They take her and they take her back to the Dutchburn or the car, at least back to the Dutchburn house and ditch it by 1230. It's just such a fast series of events. And in, in your experience in law enforcement and private investigating, we hear about like that, um, that that motive a lot. You know, the this individual went to a party and they overdosed, and then the you know there's a rally of people who come together to dispose of the body so successfully that it's never found again, and there's no trail, no trace ever of this body, and then they set up a car. You know, like, we just hear, like, oh, they probably overdosed, and then the friends panicked and got rid of the body. Has that ever happened to you in, in your experience? Have you ever have you ever had that, like, where, a, where someone overdoses at a party and people do actually... Uh, get caught for like trying to cover up the murder or, or the accidental death. I've never even heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you hear about like the, the whole right. dropping people at the hospital thing where they'll drop the body yeah. out there, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm sure it happens. I'm surprised it's never happened on your watch Lou. something like that, but definitely would be bizarre. I mean, they, you think that there would be, if, if this happened and there was a party, you think one person would say, no one's responsible for this. She took, you know, that that's just going to lead down a bad road. You know, let's just get her to a hospital or call the police or something. You'd think that that would be the, of course, people aren't in the right mind. And again, the more people are involved, the more people are there, the less likely it is to actually be true or successful. Right, right. But but you just like answered the the mystery right there when you said people aren't in their right mind. If they're not in their right mind, they're not successfully hiding a body for eighteen years. Yeah, and keeping that a secret. Keeping it a secret. As you know, if more than one person knows what happened, the secret's not going to stay forever. Usually, no. The only reason I ever give that any type of a thought, as far as there being an exception, is that I personally never experienced an area like that. To me, it's hard to explain to people who've never been there. And, and I'm not trying to insult the people that live there. It's odd. It's an odd existence. Super sparsely populated. You know, Lou and I have this thing where when we've gone up there, when we went up there and we did these interviews and stuff, when we left, we'd sit in the car and I'd go, I'd look at him and go, is this normal? Because this isn't my normal to me that, that 
not just one person lies to you or two people lie to you or something. People that have nothing to do with their lying to you. Why are they all doing this? What is the what is this bizarre vortex that we're in where everyone makes up a story and I don't get it? And that's the only thing that I think is an exception to the rule kind of thing. I think part of it is um, part of it is they're making things up. And part of it is, number one, it's been 18 years now. And number two, many of them have had drug issues or alcohol issues or both. Um, and their memories is not what it uh, you might think it would be. Um, so and we run into that a lot where people just just don't remember things or they tell us one thing that they've told other people other things and it happens over yeah. and over and over again. They will be emphatic about stuff though. And you're like, you know, more no, normally you go to someone's house and say, do you know anything about this? And they're like, nah, I, I'm sorry, I don't. That doesn't happen. They tell you a story. Oh yeah. And it, it, it almost seemed as though in a lot of cases, people didn't know the difference between fact and fiction or they couldn't, they didn't know the difference between a rumor and a fact. And which was really hard to deal with. And Jen and I had this discussion when we were up there. I mean, it's it's a bizarro thing. Again, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to, I don't want to sound like I'm saying bad things about the people who live up there and have lived up there for generations and that's our home and stuff. But Brianna's friends that we've talked to that were, you know, that made it through the storm of drug addiction and all that other stuff. And they're good people and we care about them and everything. And these girls will tell you, they don't know any girl they any girl that they've known going to school with or growing up that wasn't sexually assaulted that's a bizarre thing they'll also say the girls would actually date girls not because that was their sexual preference but because it was the safer choice because of domestic violence that says a lot to me yeah, I'm I'm seeing a, I'm I'm seeing a lot of uh, facial expressions coming from Molina down there, so I'm just wondering what's going through your your mind right now. So, it's funny cuz I I've heard people say that before. Um it's I don't know. Um I've heard many men say that they've never met a woman that has been sexually assaulted, but you'd be surprised. No, this was the other way. Yeah, but this was the other way around. That, that everybody has been and that's the assumption that they have been yeah you i can't believe a man would say they've never met a girl that's been sexually assaulted i mean it's so it's so prevalent yeah um no that's true maybe that's like that men who have a distorted view of how this works kind of thing but yeah and i feel bad for these girls you know a couple of them we've come very close to uh one especially now I know Chloe stays in touch with her. I know Lou stays in touch with her. And we adore her. She's having some health problems. And, um, you know, she'll tell you that the same thing. That, uh, that it's just like an assumption. No, that no, that every girl she's ever known has been sexually assaulted up there as a child, as a, as a minor, I should say. So I don't, I guess my whole point of that is just that the area is different. And much like with Erica Franlick's case, when you go down there and it's very rural and stuff, I remember actually going to the, uh, a meeting with the police and they said, we got a, a, a discussion about the immediate area where they live. And they were asking me about the interviews I was doing and stuff. And they had told me that this one whole stretch of road, which is a long country road, that every family in that, in that road had had some sort of incest. Ugh. Yeah, it's definitely um, otherworldly. Yeah. 
that, that was New York, though, not Vermont. Yeah, that's New York. You know, part, part of it, I think, has to do with the area up there, too, because there's just, there's not a lot, there's no jobs for the kids. There's not a lot for them to do up there at that age. Um, they have to drive to get anywhere. You know, there's not, you can't walk anywhere up there. So there's a lot of freedom, I think, given to the kids as they grow it up. Um, and these older men, I think, tend, tend to prey on the girls. At least they did. I, I don't know. If, I assume it's the same way now. But this age group that we're dealing with, Brianna's friends and everything, um, were, you know, were targeted, I think, almost by these, these older guys. Some of them married. So, you know, some of them quite a bit older. Than them. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And um, we got a, a question in the chat room about Othram, and um, we know that Othram Labs have a or have a sample of um, DNA in the case, and um, they were just curious if there was any update on that. I don't know if you guys, uh, Greg or Lou or anyone, uh, know anything about that. Anything about DNA has to come from the state police. It's not right. something that we're really can talk about at all um, okay. just in general I, you know i can i can comment a little bit about um you know forensic evidence that's found at the scene first you have to recover it <laughs> secondly you've got to um identify it and third now you've got to determine whether that evidence ties into the crime or not um you know if you think about what you, you just take for example you um, you know, your house or your, your car, how much DNA is in there that belongs to other people? How, you know, how many fingerprints are in there that belong to other people? Um, so, and, and again, this has nothing to do with Brianna's case whatsoever. I'm just, um, in general, you know, forensic evidence is great, but you have to tie that into the crime. And if you can't tie it into the crime, it's not, Valuable evidence. Okay, so we're uh, still waiting on uh, on I guess um, some official word from Othram or from the Vermont State Police about uh, about that sample and the movement there. You know that that does lead us to like a frustrating uh, scenario when that sample has been collected and analyzed and sequenced, and then you know they have to compare it to something else to to identify you know that like the whole process there takes months weeks and months um but then like you bring up a great point lou you have to then determine like well it could be there for any reason like that could it could be there for any reason someone's dna could be in someone's car for any reason uh you know they could say yeah i just hopped in i was getting a ride like i don't know it was a couple weeks ago you know like it it doesn't it doesn't mean anything until you can find the uh like the criminal tie to it so while it's great that they have the 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 dna what would it take to put that over the top 
like a confession? Is that what you're looking for is to like make somebody nervous enough and, and maybe, I don't want to say like manipulate the, 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 the reality of the situation, but to say, listen, your DNA is in the car. You need to fess up. Like, is that something that would happen? It, it depends on where the DNA was found and how you can relate that to the crime. I mean, you know, quite often, obviously, in, in, a, um, in a homicide case, you have a body. Now, if you find someone else's DNA on the body, okay, there, there's a pretty good chance that they were involved or if there's a weapon found. That, uh, now, in this case here, we, we're not um, privy to what DNA they have nor necessarily where they found it. So how that ties in is is something that the state police know, and and that's obviously not something that they want to publicize. Um, so uh, obviously that would be uh, not a good practice to discuss until um, they know the evidentiary value of it. I just want to mention the PIs for the missing tip line. Uh, Lou, you've got it on your background there in the graphic. It looks great. The number is one 531 6660 And if someone's got information in Brianna Maitland's case, can they submit to that tip line? They can submit information on any case to that tip line, whether it's Brianna's case, a PI for the missing case, or another case that we're not involved in. And we will um, funnel that to the appropriate a- agency or location. I mean, we, we, as Greg and I talk about often, we're private investigators. All we can do is get information. We can't do anything with that information. That's up to the authorities to do. Um, so, you know, our job is to, to dig up what we can, but ultimately it's the job of the, um, whatever police agency it is to, you know, to, to do something with that information. So, um, but there, anyone who has a tip on anything is more than welcome to submit it. And, um, then, uh, like I said, we'll just funnel it to where it where it should go. Lou, did you purposely get the number of the beast in our toll free tip line? <laughs> um, gotta... No, not not purposely, but once I saw it, I I thought that maybe it was appropriate. <laughs> well, it's definitely memorable. <laughs> You know, you talk about DMA, DNA, too. That's another issue with Brianna's case is that the two places you're going to find your evidence are going to be at the crime scene and at the body. If there's a body, we don't have either of those things. Um, whatever we thought might have been the crime scene, the, the Dutch burn home in the car, which obviously towed away, leaves us kind of empty handed on both ends there. You know, I think that's one of the things that makes this case difficult is that. Um, you, you really don't have, a, I mean, we're not even certain that anything actually happened there to her. It's, it's likely, it's very possible, but very well, whatever happened to her could have been happened, to, could have happened at a different location. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it makes the case that much harder, I think, uh, without knowing what happened to her or where it happened to her. It's, um, That's another dynamic too, you know, when you talk about pe- people uh, sightings and, and, and I don't mean sightings like Atlantic City sighting that we had, but sightings like in that general area in that immediate time frame. You wonder about that because if she was simply taken from the Dutchburn home within the hour, you know, from that area and gotten somewhere else, but she's still around, and she's still with someone or she's still at someone's home or something, that adds a whole other dynamic there where we don't know, you know. 
So a lot of times people look at this as though everything kind of ended there, which it doesn't. And you said earlier, uh, right at the top of the show, uh, new people come forward with rumors and, and, um, and, you know, these, these like, uh, they inject themselves into the, into the disappearance. How often do these things get back to Bruce? The rumors get back to him? Yeah. The rumors or if somebody comes forward, like if they, I don't know, how do, how do they reach out and say, yeah, I know what's, I know what happened. Like how often is, is Bruce in the, in the loop on those things? You know, I've, I have certain things that I never made a rule about it, but it's just, I just don't like, there's certain things I just, especially stuff like what people would bring us pornography and say, there's, you know, she's involved in it and it's obviously not true. I don't like tell him that shit, you know, it, it's just garbage. And you know. we try and vet the information, I think. Yeah. You know, we've gone to him a few times with some things that really look good, you know. Um, and then there's other things like we had a video sent to us. I don't know if I, I think I shared that with you, Greg, about this guy who claimed he had a machine that could locate her and he actually had a Google Earth video and it zeroed in on a house in Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there she is. She's in that house, you know. Well, I'm not going to bother Bruce with that, you know. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you know. Level. He's been traumatized enough without having other trauma go at him, which it's, that's an interesting topic because if he was on his own, he would just be mentally beat up all the time. I mean, it would just be they're pummeling him all the time. We can kind of stand in the way and pick and choose what he gets to see. And, and he's actually, he, he was here at my house one time. We were sitting out on my back deck having a beer, actually. And I don't remember what the conversation was, but he just looked at me and said, uh, are you withholding anything from me? And I said, no, I wouldn't do that. And then I, I, it dawned on me that there was something that I hadn't shown him. I, but I, it was something I was hanging on to and contemplating and looking into. I wouldn't purposely withhold it from him to, for any bad reason or other than I just wanted to know more about it first. But yeah. And he sometimes he'll ask, even though he doesn't want to hear, I want to know about this or whatever, you know, either curiosity gets the best of him or, you know, he wants to know, he wants to be in the loop. Obviously he's the, he's the, he's the biggest soldier here going after this. So that's a difficult situation. Coming from my end, you know, I think a part of a part of approaching cases like this, focusing on being victim centered, you also need to focus on the secondary victims, you know, the family members of these people that go missing suffer so much every single day. And it's like a balancing act. You don't want to cause them unnecessary harm because these are people that get phone calls. You know, obviously a lot is funneled through his private investigators, but he he's gotten phone calls like I know where your daughter is, but I can't tell you like th these are things that have happened to him. And I can't even imagine what he goes through when that happens. But, you know, just coming from my end as someone who has a blog about his daughter's case, there have been times where he's asked me if I could send him, you know, all of my notes from a specific interview. And I've had the conversation, I, I believe, with Lou, just, you know, I should I should send everything in that interview, even things that might be painful to read, you know, conjecture that might be disturbing or upsetting. And Lou's answer was, 
yeah, I don't think he'd, I don't think he would appreciate it if you censored it. So I didn't. And, and I know that was, that was the right way to go about it because you have to, it's, it's, you have to be respectful. And sometimes that can be with information that's hurtful, but you don't want to do it in a way that's unnecessary. He's been through a lot and uh, that pisses me off too. It's a hard topic. You know, just another, to get back on a rumor mill for a minute. Um, another one that comes to mind that people you see a lot. She was an expert in martial arts. Why didn't she defend herself when she was beat up? Well, number one, she took some jujitsu lessons. That doesn't make her an expert in martial arts. I mean, she was 14 at the time. Um, secondly, when she was involved in that altercation with the other young lady, she was sitting in a pickup truck. And jujitsu is a grappling form of martial art. It's pretty useless if you're sitting inside a pickup truck. You're not, you know, going to be able to utilize the skills that you know. So that's kind of irrelevant to the whole thing. But it's, again, you know, people are trying to make more of it than it is, I think. That's a good thing to put to rest because that bugs me every time somebody brings it up. And they would talk about it. And I'd say, you know what? If 17-year-old girl who had taken some jujitsu class came up and tried to fight me, I'd break her neck like a chicken ball. It's just not going to happen. It's not, it's, it's, it's ridiculous on its face. She'd have to be Olympic trained or something to, to beat up a guy who's 250 pounds or something and, and, and a farmer or something. But they, the people regurgitate that constantly. All right, Greg, we know you're tough. Yeah, the fact that she's athletic is is the point of that i think she she was athletic and she was strong and, and her friends did make comments about her kicking people and stuff like that i'm sure she was athletic but is that going to help her in a situation where she's not only that confrontation you know pe- people who aren't familiar with confrontation and don't have to go through confrontation all the time don't handle it well and she was a kid i also feel like that specific confrontation with that particular young lady in the pickup truck I feel like she felt that she deserved to be hit and she purposefully said I'm not going to fight back so I think that's a very poor example of you know you know she like why didn't she fight back why didn't she fight back that there's a specific reason why that's been well established too based on what that party has said that she said let's fight let's fight and Brie specifically did not want to fight so again not a very good example and Lou mentioned it's a grappling form of martial arts and that she was in a car. We don't know exactly where Brie was or what stance she was in, but we do know she was last seen driving away in her car. So again, if she's in her car or sitting in her car seated when she's attacked or abducted or whatever happened in this situation, it probably isn't very relevant. That's a good one to put to rest. The first time I went up to the first or second time I went up to the Dutch burn place, I remember standing there in front of the building and thinking, this is it. You know, if we knew what happened right here at this point, at this place in those few minutes, that's it. Was the confrontation there, you know, cause it's been the beginning. I would weave back and forth is, was this a red herring? Was this, was it ditched here? Was it, you know, things just hadn't been looked into deeply enough at the time. You know, the other thing that was, was mentioned, I think, in early reports was that it, the accident appeared staged. Well, I, I don't know where anybody got that, but I, yeah. you know, if you're going to stage an accident, it, you know, it's not a very, no, 
I didn't think a very good job at staging it anyways. It, it just doesn't, it looks like somebody, looks like she threw it in reverse, hit the gas and hit the building, got hung up on it. That's what it looks like to me. Going back to the confrontation thing and, and the violence or whatever, or her defending herself, or whatever. If you're the biggest, strongest person and, and someone comes up behind you, none of that matters. I mean, that's it's all irrelevant. I mean, if something did, somebody did something to her, and she just didn't have the wherewithal or the, the means to help herself, whatever the situation is, it's all irrelevant. And the, the, the car there being staged, again, that's the whole situation. Like when we were standing there that one day, Lou, me, you and Jen, and Lou had talked about going around that corner because you don't realize until you get out and stand there that it is pretty good corner. But I stood right there at the foundation. And, and that I actually drove it with Jen and we drove around it back right up exactly to where her car was. It just doesn't lend itself to be in a, it doesn't seem like a setup, you know, her, her wheels are cranked and there's debris by the car. When they find the car, when they, it's actually got both doors open, the lights are on and there's a blinker going. It just doesn't seem that way, you know? And then, and then of course you hear stories that it was ditched there and, 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 Again, that goes into that whole heinous thing of people coming in and, and, and telling you bullshit that, that misleads you and it's aggravating, but they tell you it was ditched there. So you go, was it ditched here? You know, is it possible? Well, I guess it's possible. It's aggravating. But like, why would it be staged? You know, like, does anybody like take a couple of steps back and say, why would a 17 year old stage that? Well, they ties into the overdose theory. Yeah, someone. Oh, the overdose theory. Okay, so other late teens, early twenties kids would think to stage that. Like, why would just it's so? There's so much work that goes into that. Just drop if someone's overdosing, just drop the body off at a public location. Just drive a little bit further, drop the body off at a gas station. Lou's answer to this is always, and it's the perfect reply, is that there's literally a million other better places to ditch the car. I mean, you could just put it on the side of a road and why put it there where everyone's going to see it, right? I grew up in a small town, and if that ever happened, like in my small circle of friends, uh, and the town I grew up in probably wasn't as small as Montgomery, but it was right around there. If if we had an issue like that and somebody died at a party from overdose, like whatever, like if I if any one of us brought up like, all right, here's what we got to do, guys. We got to take the car. We got to go to that old building. The, the abandoned building we gotta back it in like we gotta make this look like they would be I, I, they'd be dragged out it, it wouldn't even be a question like to find that many insane early 20s kids in the same location at the same time is impossible it's a bizarre yeah. thing not since i know what you did last summer has uh, that happened someone's heavily under the influence of mind-altering substances Maybe they're not thinking clearly and they would have thought that that was a good idea. But if a crime happens, whether it's intentional or accidental and efforts are made to conceal the body so well that 18 years later, there's no body and efforts, efforts are made to move the car to either avoid or delay detection or it being connected to you, you would think that if someone had that level of detail and planning and trying to avoid getting captured, why would they leave it in such a conspicuous location in such a conspicuous way? So there's two things to that. The first one is you think people will think logically and all that other stuff. So you guys are kind of privy to one of these stories where 
one of the guys that was always on the fringes that was thought to be involved and that was role was always a rumor. There were girls that would tell us, oh, yeah, we'd go over to his trailer and he had been up awake for like four or five days at a time. He was absolutely delirious, almost psychotic. So then you're thinking, okay, could it be somebody that's in that kind of shape? Well, that particular person lived, you know, anywhere you go there, you have to drive. So those type of people are there and they do make bad decisions and all this other stuff, but they ain't like hauling somebody a a big distance away because if they're in that kind of shape, they're just not doing that. Hey, did you say earlier that the um, that the steering wheel was turned in one specific direction? Yeah. Which Wheels direction? All the way. Which all which way. left or right? To the left. So in other words, it, it almost looked like she backed into the building. And, she was and that go. she was trying to maybe go, yeah. keep going where she was already going. It's like she was going to back up. She was going to do a turn around. If you follow the curve, your wheels are turned. If you then throw it in reverse, you're going to go in the opposite direction. And that's exactly, to, in my opinion, anyways, what happened. I never she, knew that before, so thank you. When you look at, there's pictures from head on, um, and it's really prominent. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. You know, all those pictures that we have from uh, the World Travelers there, the ones that are all public pictures, it would have been nice if the vehicle hadn't been touched. But, of course, James touched the car. And he shut the doors and he, there you can see the wheels are turned really hard. Yeah. You know, the other, another um, aspect of this is, um, and I think we maybe touched on it before, is irresponsible social media um, where people, you know, put on web pages and on blogs and even on pod, some podcasts information that is just totally erroneous. I, I saw one the other day that I just shook my head because they, they were trying to give a description of what happened and they said how she had backed into the house and they searched the house. And they found a gun in the house and some drugs. Yeah. But, so, you know, they combined the, the scene with the house that they raided some weeks yeah. later that after a tip that proved irrelevant, I guess, to the, to the investigation, but, you know, so they, they really don't, they take little pieces and they don't understand what happened and they just put them together. And, and I know it's confusing. It took me six months to wrap my head around all the facts on this case. Yeah. Really did just to know who's who was who and how they fit in and, and see time sequence and all that. But, um, but that's, it's just totally irresponsible because people read that and they take that for, well, I read that on a blog or whatever. I, they take it as fact. And now it floats back to, as a rumor that, Oh, I know this happened because I, I, I read it, you know. You know, one of the things that, that Lance talked about and Chloe talked about that I, I kind of disagree with a little bit, I, well, I think about it differently, I think, is that you think it's almost like, okay, these somebody had to be really smart to hide this body. No one's found this body. No one's found her, no one, wherever she is, or whatever. I don't agree with that because you look at Fran Lake case, I think we pretty much know what happened in Fran Lick's case. These guys are not rocket scientists by any stretch of the imagination. They just simply had a little bit of time on their side and privacy. And I, you know, with Brianna's case, again, like with the car, if you just, you know, Vermont is 76% wooded. There's nothing out there. You can drive for miles and there's nothing. You just walk her off into the woods. I mean, 
I just don't think that would be hard to do that. I, I don't think it would be hard, especially with the fact that she's not really uh, being viewed daily by just family and friends and neighbors and stuff like that. She's kind of living her own life and bopping around and doing whatever she's doing. The job she has the next day, she's starting the first day. So no one calls her home and says, hey, she, she, it's not like her not to show up. Jillian's gone where she's staying till the, what, Monday or whatever. So whatever happens to her, that person could, could have taken her anywhere. I mean, anywhere. You know, we were driving along, uh, Jen and I, and we ended up, I think Lou too, we ended, we ended up at Lake Carmi. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're driving around this lake and there's homes here, there, and the other thing. And we had gotten tips about her, about Lake Carmi before which was a really weird thing for people to throw in there and stuff. You know, uh, give you an idea of like, Lou always says, you don't know what you don't know. Just really sounds simple, but it's really true. Some people, if you just don't have the fact, if you don't have the information, you just don't know. I had a friend who was driving up to his house one time, I told people this story and uh, he waved to his neighbor and he started telling me what a great guy he was. And I go, Oh, I never heard you mention him before. Do you guys, you guys hang out? No. Come over to your house for coffee? No. Well, how do you know he's a great guy? I don't know. Every time I see him, he smiles and waves. That don't make him a nice guy. I go, for all you know, he could be over there beating his wife every night. You don't know what goes on in their house. You don't know if he's a criminal or if he's this, that, and the other thing. And he's like, well, I never really thought of that. And on most of the people, that's their outlook on stuff. Rather than say, well, I should be skeptical of my neighbors, whether I know them or not. So, you know, we don't know. We're driving around this lake and I'm looking at all these houses. You know, that's a vat. That's kind of like when she, when she went missing and Bruce was hear him talk about working and trying to work in, in forestry and stuff. And that he would see birds and head in that direction, you know, thinking that they're circling. Stopping on the side of the road when he would see debris and stuff like that, just absolutely traumatizing things. But what he, what that was, was now he trusts no one and nothing, which probably you should do. But we live in a society where we trust people. Just a little bit about that Lake Carmi story. We were looking for a, a woman who may, may or may not have had this information, and we, we found the road, and we went to this house. We couldn't find a house number. Basically, the answer was, yeah, this is the right road, but you can't get there from here. Um, we had to go back out on the main road. Remember that? Go up the dirt road and go all the way down the end. We found a house which had burned down, and the people were living in a trailer who had been living in a trailer. Turns out our person we wanted to wasn't there anymore. But it, was, it was kind of you know, one of these uh, strange Vermont things where it was the right road, but you couldn't get from one end to the other. You had to go around. If some acquaintance or... A stranger did this all they have to do is go to their home who's going to know i mean and then in the you're in the void so that's the way i think of that anyway but it doesn't take a genius to do that to, to get away with it what are you smiling at chloe no i i just totally agree with you i would never assert that whoever is responsible for this is necessarily a genius i mean even if even if the perpetrator was a serial killer, most serial killers aren't even geniuses. Most of them are of average intelligence or less, I think. Filthy out of necessity, right? 
yeah, it's just a combination of, like you said, time, luck, privacy. Although in this situation, there were a confluence, there was a confluence of circumstances in which Brianna wasn't immediately noticed or missed when she was missing. But that time window from when she left work and then when her car was observed was so slim that it's kind of hard to grapple with an extremely well thought out and planned conspiracy or cover-up method. I get perplexed to why people gravitate to Mora's case so much more than Brianna's when they're so close together geographically and why her case takes on this huge media attraction and stuff like that. Because Mora's kind of got that same thing going on too, doesn't she? Where she spotted at the vehicle, the cops, wouldn't, didn't the cops show up in like seven minutes or something? She's gone. How does that work? How does that so there's the big question, you know, there's, there's that element going on with Brianna too, that, that odd scenario. I think you see cases where people are, um, you know, have a higher socioeconomic status. And in Maura's case, she was in college. She had just gone to West Point. I think those factors gave her a little bit more publicity and intrigue. Plus, with Brianna's case, there was no you know, image of the all-American girl for the public to rip apart at. And that's not to say that the public in Brianna's case doesn't misbehave, because they certainly do. Like in Maura's case, you'll see people demanding that all information that's you know pertinent to the investigation should be made public. Why don't we know this? There must be some conspiracy. There must... Be yeah. something that investigators are hiding you see that overlap i i think a lot of people do care and unfortunately while it's wonderful that more and more members of the community are becoming interested and are engaging in brianna's case you're starting to see similar patterns of behavior where people just aren't understanding that not all information can or should be made public and you're, you're getting that same kind of um, cognitive shortcut where they're jumping to a conspiracy or something. I thought that people, when they when they viewed Brianna, Brianna's case, it always stopped at, she was involved in drug activity, and they go, oh, it's a drug thing. And that was started by a cop who went out publicly and, and said that. And then he they retracted it, but it's always that same thing where, you know, the statement's a headline and the retraction's in the back. You know, it comes up later, you know, people disregard it or whatever. But it always seemed like, People looked in the case, they lost interest at that point. The, oh, it was a drug thing. It's just a drug thing, you know. She becomes a less sympathetic victim. Yeah, that, that's what, yeah. Initially, in Brianna's case, too, they thought there was a possibility that she had run away. In fact, if you look, I think it's at the Charlie Project, they still say that, <laughs> that, that she may have been a runaway, which is totally ridiculous. But yeah. And we, we know how that started because they asked Kelly if she had ever, uh, Brianna's mother, if she had ever run away. And she answered yes without them clarifying that. It, she it was like in elementary school and they moved and she got homesick yeah. and walked from her school and sat on the front porch of the house that she used to live in. And um, of course, they found her right away. But that was her, quote, runaway experience. And That was a sad story, too. That's a hard and then, then it, like you said, the drug angle came. For, first, she wasn't reported missing for um, media-wise for several days, probably almost a week. 
and then there was the runaway angle, then there was the drug angle. So it didn't really generate a lot of public interest, like you said, not like Mars, where you just entirely different set of circumstances there. Tim Lance is one thing that maybe we should mention too. What private investigations that are missing really could use is a grant writer. Um, and if anyone out there who's interested or has experience in writing grants, um, you know, we need funding to keep going. And, yeah. we, you know, we don't charge families a dime. Um, but obviously, you know, some of the investigators have to get paid. There's expenses involved. So um, we're really, really, with Bruce is really, um, you know, uh, trying to locate someone that could help us out, would volunteer to help us out with, with finding grant money. Yeah, that's really important. Um, additionally, if you don't have grant writing experience and you have experience fundraising in any capacity, we could definitely use your help as well. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's Nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X dot com.